Section 4 of The Old Peabody Pew, A Christmas Romance of a Country Church by Kate Douglas Wiggin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 These were the reasons that had brought Justin Peabody to Edgewood on the Saturday afternoon before Christmas, and had taken him to the new tavern on Torrey Hill, near the meeting-house. Nobody recognized him at the station or noticed him at the tavern, and after his supper he put on his overcoat and started out for a walk, aimlessly hoping that he might meet a friend, or failing that, intending to call on some of his old neighbors, with a view of hearing the village news and securing some information which might help him to decide when he had better lay himself and his misfortunes at Nancy Wentworth's feet. They were pretty feet. He remembered that fact well enough under the magical influence of familiar sights and sounds and odors, he was restless, miserable, anxious, homesick, not for Detroit, but for some heretofore unimagined good. Yet like Bunyan's shepherd boy in the Valley of Humiliation, he carried the herb called heart's ease in his bosom, for he was at last loving consciously. How white the old church looked, and how green the blinds must have been painted very lately. That meant that the parish was fairly prosperous. There were some new shutters in the belfry tower, too. He remembered the former open space in the rusty bell, and he liked the change. Did the chimney used to be in that corner? No, but his father had always said it would have drawn better if it had been put there in the beginning. New shingles within a year, that was evident to a practiced eye. He wondered if anything had been done to the inside of the building, but he must wait until the morrow to see, for, of course, the doors would be locked. No, the one at the right side was ajar. He opened it softly and stepped into the tiny square entry that he recalled so well, the one through which the Sunday school children ran out to the steps from their catechism, apparently enjoying the sunshine after a spell of orthodoxy, the little entry where the village girls congregated while waiting for the last bell to ring. They made a soft blur of pink and blue and buff, a little flutter of curls and braids and fans and sunshades in his mind's eye as he closed the outer door behind him and gently opened the inner one. The church was flooded with moonlight and snowlight, and there was one lamp burning at the back of the pulpit, a candle too on the pulpit steps. There was the tip-tap-tip of a tack-hammer going on in a distant corner. Was somebody hanging Christmas garlands? The new red carpet attracted his notice, and as he grew accustomed to the dim light, it carried his eye along the aisle he had tread so many years of Sundays to the old familiar pew. The sound of the hammer ceased, and a woman rose from her knees. A stranger was doing for the family honor what he ought to have done himself. The woman turned to shake her skirt, and it was Nancy Wentworth. He might have known it. Women were always faithful. They always remembered old landmarks, old ways, old friends, old duties. His father and mother and Esther were all gone, who but dear Nancy would have made the old Peabody pew right and tidy for the Christmas festival? Bless her kind womanly heart. She looked just the same to him as when he last saw her. Mercifully, he seemed to have held in remembrance all these years not so much her youthful bloom as her general qualities of mind and heart, her cheeriness, her spirit, her unflagging zeal, her bright womanliness. Her gray dress was turned up in front over a crimson moreen petticoat. She had on a cosy jacket, a fur turban of some sort, with a red breast in it, and her cheeks were flushed from exertion. Sweet records and promises as sweet, 
had always met in nancy's face and either he had forgotten how pretty she was or else she had absolutely grown prettier during his absence nancy would have chosen the supreme moment of meeting very differently but she might well have chosen worse she unpinned her skirt and brushed the threads off smoothed the pew cushions carefully and took a last stitch in the ragged hassock she then lifted the bible and the hymn-book from the rack and putting down a bit of flannel on the pulpit steps took a flat iron from an oil stove and opening the ancient books pressed out the well-thumbed leaves one by one with infinite care after replacing the volumes in their accustomed place she first extinguished the flame of her stove which she tucked out of sight and then blew out the lamp and the candle the church was still light enough for objects to be seen in a shadowy way like the objects in a dream and justin did not realize that he was a man in the flesh looking at a woman spying it might be upon her privacy he was one part of a dream and she another and he stood as if waiting and fearing to be awakened nancy having done all came out of the pew and standing in the aisle looked back at the scene of her labors with pride and content and as she looked some desire to stay a little longer in the dear old place must have come over her or some dread of going back to her lonely cottage for she sat down in justin's corner of the pew with folded hands her eyes fixed dreamily on the pulpit and her ears hearing not as though i wrote a new commandment unto thee but that which we had from the beginning justin's grasp on the latch tightened as he prepared to close the door and leave the place but his instinct did not warn him quickly enough after all for obeying some uncontrollable impulse nancy suddenly fell on her knees in the pew and buried her face in the cushions the dream broke and in an instant justin was a man worse than that he was an eavesdropper ashamed of his unsuspected presence he felt himself standing with covered head and feet shod in the holy temple of a woman's heart but his involuntary irreverence brought abundant grace with it the glimpse in the revelation wrought their miracle silently and irresistibly not by the slow process of growth which nature demands for her enterprises but with the sudden swiftness of the spirit in an instant changes had taken place in justin's soul which his so-called experiencing religion twenty-five years back had been powerless to effect he had indeed been baptized then but the recording angel could have borne witness that this second baptism fructified the first and became the real herald of the new birth and the new creature chapter seven justin peabody silently closed the inner door and stood in the entry with his head bent and his heart in a whirl until he should hear nancy rise to her feet he must take this heaven-sent chance of telling her all but how do it without alarming her a moment and her step sounded in the stillness of the empty church obeying the first impulse he passed through the outer door and standing on the step knocked once twice three times then opening it a little and speaking through the chink he called is miss nancy wentworth here i'm here in a moment came nancy's answer and then with a little wondering tremor in her voice as if a hint of the truth had already dawned what's wanted you're wanted nancy badly wanted by justin peabody come back from the west the door opened wide and justin faced nancy standing halfway down the aisle her eyes brilliant her lips parted a week ago justin's apparition confronting her in the empty meeting-house after nightfall even had she been prepared for it as now by his voice would have terrified her beyond measure now it seemed almost natural and inevitable 
she had spent these last days in the church where both of them had been young and happy together the two letters had brought him vividly to mind and her labor in the old peabody pew had been one long excursion into the past in which he was the most prominent and the best loved figure i said i'd come back to you when my luck turned nancy these were so precisely the words she expected him to say should she ever see him again face to face that for an additional moment they but heightened her sense of unreality well the luck hasn't turned after all but i couldn't wait any longer have you given a thought of me all these years nancy more than one justin for the very look upon his face the tenderness of his voice the attitude of his body outran his words and told her what he had come home to say told her that her years of waiting were over at last you ought to despise me for coming back again with only myself and my empty hands to offer you how easy it was to speak his heart out in this dim and quiet place how tongue-tied he would have been sitting on the black haircloth sofa in the wentworth parlor and gazing at the open soapstone stove oh men are such fools cried nancy smiles and tears struggling together in her speech as she sat down suddenly in her own pew and put her hands over her face they are agreed justin humbly but i've never stopped loving you whenever i've had time for thinking or loving and i wasn't sure that you really cared anything about me and how could i have asked you when i hadn't a dollar in the world there are other things to give a woman besides dollars justin are there well you shall have them all every one of them nancy if you can make up your mind to do without the dollars for dollars seem to be just what i can't manage her hand was in his by this time and they were sitting side by side in the cushionless carpetless wentworth pew the door stood open the winter moon shone in upon them that it was beginning to grow cold in the church passed unnoticed the grasp of the woman's hand seemed to give the man new hope and courage and justin's warm confiding pleading pressure brought balm to nancy balm and healing for the wounds her pride had suffered joy too half conscious still that her life need not be lived to the end in unfruitful solitude she had waited as some gray lake lies full and smooth awaiting the star below the twilight justin peabody might have been no other woman's star but he was nancy's just you sitting beside me here makes me feel as if i'd been asleep or dead all these years and just born over again said justin i've led a respectable hard-working honest life nancy he continued and i don't owe any man a cent the trouble is that no man owes me one i've got enough money to pay two fares back to detroit on monday although i was terribly afraid you wouldn't let me do it it'll need a good deal of thinking and planning nancy for we shall be very poor nancy had been storing up fidelity and affection deep deep in the hive of her heart all these years and now the honey of her helpfulness stood ready to be gathered could i keep hens in detroit she asked i can always make them pay hens in three rooms nancy her face fell and no yard no yard a moment's pause and then the smile came oh well i've had yards and hens for thirty-five years doing without them will be a change i can take in sewing no you can't nancy i need your backbone and wits and pluck and ingenuity but if i can't ask you to sit with your hands folded for the rest of your life as i'd like to you shan't use them for other people you're marrying me to make a man of me but i'm not marrying you to make you a drudge 
her voice rang clear and true in the silence and nancy's heart vibrated at the sound oh justin justin she whispered there's something wrong somewhere but we'll find it out together you and i and make it right you're not like a failure you don't even look poor justin there isn't a man in edgewood to compare with you or i should be washing his dishes and darning his socks this minute and i am not a pauper there'll be the rent of my little house and a carload of my furniture so you can put the three-room idea out of your mind and your firm will offer you a larger salary when you tell them you have a wife to take care of oh i see it all and it is as easy and bright and happy as can be justin put his arm around her and drew her close with such a throb of gratitude for her belief and trust that it moved him almost to tears there was a long pause then he said now i shall call for you to-morrow morning after the last bell has stopped ringing and we will walk up the aisle together and sit in the old peabody pew we shall be a nine days wonder anyway but this will be equal to an announcement especially if you take my arm we don't either of us like to be stared at but this will show without a word what we think of each other and what we promise to be to each other and it's the only thing that will make me feel sure of you and settled in my mind after all these mistaken years have you got the courage nancy i shouldn't wonder i guess i've had courage enough to wait for you i've got courage enough to walk up the aisle with you and marry you besides said nancy now it is too late for us to stay here any longer and you must see me only as far as my gate for perhaps you haven't forgotten yet how interested the brewsters are in their neighbors they stood at the little wentworth gate for a moment hand close clasped in hand the night was clear the air was cold and sparkling but with nothing of bitterness in it the sky was steely blue and the evening star glowed and burned like a tiny sun nancy remembered the shepherd's song she had taught the sunday school children and repeated softly for i my sheep was watching beneath the silent skies when sudden far to eastward i saw a star arise then all the peaceful heavens with sweetest music rang and glory 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 the happy angels sang so i this night am joyful that i can scarce tell why it seemeth me that glory hath met us very nigh and we though poor and humble have part in heavenly plan for born to-night the prince of peace shall rule the heart of man justin's heart melted within him like wax to the woman's vision and the woman's touch oh nancy nancy he whispered if i had brought my bad luck to you long long ago you would have taken me then and have i lost years of such happiness as this there are some things it is not best for a man to be certain about said nancy with a wise smile and a last good night chapter eight ring out sweet bells o'er woods and dells your lovely strains repeat while happy throngs with joyous songs each accent gladly greet christmas morning in the old tory hill meeting-house was felt by all the persons who were present in that particular year to be a most exciting and memorable occasion the old sexton quite outdid himself for although he had rung the bell for more than thirty years he had never felt greater pride or joy in his task was not his son john home for christmas and john's wife and a grandchild newly named nathaniel for himself were there not spare ribs and turkeys and cranberries and mince pies on the pantry shelves and barrels of rosy baldwins in the cellar and bottles of mother's root beer just waiting to give a holiday pop the bell itself forgot its age and the suspicion of a crack that dulled its voice on a damp day 
and inspired by the bright frosty air the sexton's inspiring pull and the christmas spirit gave out nothing but joyous tones ding dong ding dong it fired the ambitions of star scholars about to recite hymns and sing solos it thrilled little girls expecting dolls before night it excited beyond bearing dozens of little boys being buttoned into refractory overcoats ding dong ding dong mothers fingers trembled when they heard it and mothers voices cried if that is the second bell the children will never be ready in time where are the overshoes where are the mittens hurry jack hurry jenny ding dong ding dong where's sally's muff where's father's fur cap is the sleigh at the door are the hot soapstones in have all of you your money for the contribution box ding dong ding dong it was a blithe bell a sweet true bell a holy bell and to justin pacing his tavern room as to nancy trembling in her maiden chamber it rang a christmas message awake glad heart arise and sing it is the birthday of thy king the congregation filled every seat in the old meeting-house as maria sharp had prophesied there was one ill-natured spinster from a rival village who declared that the church floor looked like joseph's coat laid out smooth but in the general chorus of admiration approval and goodwill this envious speech though repeated from mouth to mouth left no sting another item of interest long recalled was the fact that on that august and unapproachable day the pulpit vases stood erect and empty though nancy wentworth had filled them every sunday since anyone could remember this instance though felt at the time to be of mysterious significance if the cause were ever revealed paled into nothingness when after the ringing of the last bell nancy wentworth walked up the aisle on justin peabody's arm and they took their seats side by side in the old family pew and considerable close too though there was plenty of room and no one that i ever heard of so much as suspicion that they had ever kept company and do you suppose she knew justin was expected back when she scrubbed his pew a friday and this explains the empty pulpit vases and i always said that nancy would make a real handsome couple if she ever got anybody to couple with during the unexpected and solemn procession of the two up the aisle the soprano of the village choir stopped short in the middle of the doxology and the three other voices carried it to the end without any trouble also among those present there were some who could not remember afterward the precise petitions wafted upward in the opening prayer and could it be explained otherwise than by cheerfully acknowledging the bounty of an overruling providence that nancy wentworth should have had a new winter dress for the first time in five years a winter dress of dark brown cloth to match her beaver muff and victorine the existence of this toilette had been known and discussed in edgewood for a month past and it was thought to be nothing more than a proper token of respect from a member of the carpet committee to the general magnificence of the church on the occasion of its reopening after repairs indeed you could have identified every member of the dorcas society that sunday morning by the freshness of her apparel the brown dress then was generally expected but why the white cashmere waist with collar and cuffs of point lace devised only and suitable only for the minister's wedding where it first saw the light the white waist can only be explained as showing distinct hope whispered the minister's wife during the reading of the church notices to me it shows more than hope i am very sure that nancy would never take any wear out of that lace for hope it means certainty answered maria 
who was always strong in the prophetic line by sermon time justin's identity had dawned upon most of the congregation a stranger at all but one or two at first his presence in the peabody pew brought his face and figure back little by little to the minds of the old parishioners when the contribution plate was passed the sexton always began at the right-wing pews as all the sextons before him had done for a hundred years every eye in the church was already turned upon justin and nancy and it was with almost a gasp that those in the vicinity saw a ten-dollar bill fall in the plate the sexton reeled or if that is too intemperate a word for a pillar of the church the good man tottered but caught hold of the pew rail with one hand and putting the thumb of his other over the bill proceeded quickly to the next pew lest the stranger should think better of his gift or demand change as had occasionally been done in the olden time nancy never fluttered an eyelash but sat quietly by justin's side with her bosom rising and falling under the beaver fur and her cold hands clasped tight in the little brown muff far from grudging this appreciable part of their slender resources she thrilled with pride to see justin's offering fall in the plate justin was too absorbed in his own thoughts to notice anything but his munificent contribution had a most unexpected effect upon his reputation after all for on that day and on many another later one when his sudden marriage and departure with nancy wentworth were under discussion the neighbors said to one another justin must be making money fast out west he put ten dollars in the contribution plate a sunday and pay the minister ten more next day for marrying him to nancy so the peabody luck is turned at last which as a matter of fact it had and all the time said the chairman of the carpet committee to the treasurer of the dorcas society all the time little as she realized it nancy was laying the carpet in her own pew now she's married to justin she'll be the making of him or i miss my guess you can't do a thing with men folks without their right alongside where you can keep your eye and hang on em justin's handsome and good and steady and all he need is some nice woman to put starch in em the edgewood peabody's never had a mite of stiffening in them limp as dish rags every blessed one nancy wentworth fairly rustles with starch justin hadn't been engaged to her but a few hours when they walked up the aisle together and did you notice the way he carried his head i declare i thought would fall off behind i shouldn't wonder a mite but they prosper and come back every summer to set in the old peabody pew end of section four end of the old peabody pew a christmas romance of a country church by kate douglas wiggin